Ernesto Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa, che da Gaudio! il magnifico, il magnifico, il magnifico rettore! Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. 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 Cerebro. Cerebro. Cerebro Iniesta. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us, and a happy Cinco de Mayo. Hour number two of the show, T.C. Martin Ballpark. Frank with you. We have got breaking news. We have got El Perfecto Watch. That's what we got right now. A perfect game in the mix. The Baltimore Orioles pitcher John Means, the left-hander, has gone through eight complete innings of no hit, no walk ball. And uh, facing the Seattle Mariners in Seattle. They're in the bottom of the ninth right now. The Orioles with a 6-0 lead. Means on the mound. And he's three outs away from a perfect game. You have any idea where the pitch count's at around? I can I'm tell you. I'm guessing probably near 100 or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the exact pitch count. But uh, I... Somewhere in that I'm watching ballpark, as we speak so here. to speak. Yeah, yeah. He, he's definitely got to be in the 90s. And uh, he is now two outs away. As, uh, so eight and a third. Eight and a third eight in the and books. A third. Pop up the third base. There it is. So two outs away from a perfect game. There we have it. All right. Well, so we'll keep you updated on that. Now, is it just an, it says an El Perfecto because it's Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, I think okay. so. Right? Sounds El Perfecto. We'll go with that. Chips and salsa for everybody after the game? Everybody. <laughs> yes. Wear the sombrero. Got to love it. Yeah. In this point, I mean, even the people in Seattle, the handful of people that are there for a day game in Seattle, they are rooting John Means on. Well, yeah, you're looking for history. Oh, and, and, as, and as impressive as no hitters are, we saw the White Sox almost just get one of those. Perfect games are much rarer. Absolutely. All right. And we've seen, uh, and we talked about this last week, the near uh, no-nos and the near perfect games, guys that lost it. You know, uh, in the ninth inning. So we'll see if John Means can hang on here. He's two outs away from a perfect game as the Orioles are beating the Seattle Mariners in Seattle. All yeah. right, uh, let's. Uh, we'll talk some VGK hockey as they get ready to take on the Minnesota Wild. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But uh, let's bring on our good friend Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity. Matt, what's going on, my man? TC, my man. Frank, to answer your question, John Means has thrown 110 pitches. Boom, there it is. There it is. On the spot. There it is. And uh, we, we got it right in front of us. So here. if it wasn't for having the perfect game going on right now, they would, like if he gave up a hit or two, oh, he's gone. wouldn't be, yeah, he, he'd be out of there. But when you're going for history, you go for history. 
And see, I, I'd keep the guy in there. I mean, you're up six nothing, especially if you're out or two away. So what? You get to one twenty. The guy's resting for the next four days. I mean, give me a break. I'm just you saying want, the way the game's played today, especially you want to, this early in the season. Depends on who your manager is, too. I mean, oh, it, for sure. it, it was Dave Roberts. Yeah, no doubt about it. He'd be gone. All right, we are now one out away. One out away. Eight and two thirds in the book. All right. All right. From an integrity standpoint, Matt, when you see perfect games and no hitters, that's one thing from an integrity standpoint. There's usually nothing to mess with there, right? Because that actually just really speaks for the performance on the field, right? Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is just Seattle uh, Mariners swinging and missing today. I think that's the 11th strikeout, and that was well out of the zone there. They've been swinging out of the zone at John Mean pitches all day. Uh, what a performance, one out away. I can tell you I'm rooting for him. As a Red Sox, uh-oh, oh, there it is. It's over. There a line drive to the shortstop. It's caught. El Perfecto. John Means, the left-hander for the Baltimore Orioles, pitches a perfect game, first career, complete game, no-hitter. Wow. Strong, baby. Strong. Zeros across the board. Everyone high-fiving. And look at the Orioles. I mean, they're playing some good ball as of late, you know? And uh, going to Seattle, John Means. Hey, Matt, if we are if we got this on the board of John Means throwing a, a perfect game, are, are you kidding me? A no-no? I mean, John Means? I'd be a long shot. No, no, wait wait a second. I don't mean to interrupt her, but I'm reading this story about it right now. And according to the story I'm reading, it's not a perfect game because he did have a strikeout where there was a drop third strike on a wild pitch. It says no the, walks here, though. It says no no, no, no walks and no walk, but a wild pitch on a third strike. The runner reached base. Oh, he did reach for Then yeah. he was subsequently thrown out, but it's not a perfect game because striking one of the batters out, the runner reached base. So it's a no-hitter, but wait, not wait, wait. an El Perfecto. Hold on. Did the runner reach first base? The runner reached first base on the strikeout. Oh, he did. Reached first after striking out on a wild pitch in the third. He was subsequently thrown out trying to steal second. So it's a no-hitter, but he lost the perfect oh. game on a strikeout in the third. That's got to be uh, the first time in history that has probably happened. Could wow. be. Yeah. Is that crazy? That's from Jan Mueller. Just talked to the no, official no. score in the press box. This is not a perfect game because of that event in the third. Because they posted but let's it. Face it. If this was any other sports leagues besides Major League Baseball, we just call it a perfect game. Yeah, exactly. Because and, and the reason why, and I apologize, I jumped on that because when I'm looking at the box score in the eighth inning, the first thing I looked for, okay, no hits, and I, I went to the base on ball column, and at that point in time he had nine strikeouts and yeah. no walks. Yeah, and you're looking so at thinking, 27 batters. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, yeah. but the one guy that reached was thrown at a second. Wow. Actually lost the perfect game by striking somebody out. Wow. That that is crazy. That's ouch. That is ouch. <laughs> oh. Well, that will be perfect. He was perfect. He was perfect. But, but the entire team has to be. If one of the fielders makes an error, it ruins a perfect game. Right. The perfect game is perfect all the way around. And, and, I, and I'm sure they'll go back and they'll show that pitch. I'm curious now, was that one that he threw in the dirt or got away from well, the catcher? Well, they called it a wild pass- pitch. It wasn't a pass ball. No, it wasn't. So, so, it is. Okay. so I guess you could say he wasn't perfect. He wasn't. Or maybe the catcher just wasn't good enough. you got to block that ball and throw the guy out. Yeah, but if they, if they called it a wild pitch, yep. then that's on him. Wow, crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, they're giving him a staying ovation in Seattle for the complete game no-hitter. So All 18 people are standing? Yeah, there you go. So, Matt, uh, this is crazy because this is one of these years that we are seeing a record number of strikeouts in Major League Baseball. And we've t- we talked about this the last couple of years where 
It seems like oh, more strikeouts this year than the year before and the year before that. But, I mean, where we're at right now, you know, basically, you know, what, 40 games into this season, 30, 40 games in the season, we have seen just the, the lowest batting average we've seen at this point in time and more strikeouts. Uh, give me your take on that. Well, part of it is the shift. Let's face it. The shift has caused people, you know, how do you beat the shift? And everyone says, well, you hit the ball the other way, but when they're pitching you inside, you can't. Anyone who understands baseball understands you just can't take that inside pitch and consistently drive it the other way. So they pitch you into the shift. They put the shift on. So how do you beat the shift? You have to hit the ball over the shift. And thus now we have guys trying to lift the ball more than ever because that's the only way they could beat the shift is to hit it over the shift. And because of that, they're striking out at record numbers. If I think if Major League Baseball wanted to bring the fun back to baseball, base hits, stolen bases, all the things that we grew up with that made baseball great, they would ban the shift. The problem is they're scared if they ban the shift that the games will take too long because all the complaints they hear from the betting people and the TV people and the, and the millennial people is baseball's too long. We can't watch sports for three and a half hours unless it's NFL. You have to shorten your game. You have to shorten your game. Thus, MLB isn't doing anything about these things that are in place like the shift that have completely taken away everything that was always great about baseball. Yeah, it kind of sounds to me like you're saying that baseball is full of shift. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but when it does come to baseball, where do you think the game is at right now? Because it still gets good TV ratings. When they allow fans in the stands, a lot of places do extremely well. But it almost seems to me like it's become almost more of a localized thing. That, you, you know, you're a fan of the teams in your town and that kind of stuff. And then, like some other sports a little bit, unless you're a diehard fan, once your team's out of the running, out of the playoffs or something, maybe they don't watch. Because it seems like when we were all growing up, everybody watched the playoffs and the World Series and all that, regardless of who was in it. I'm not sure that's the case today. It seems like it's more localized in some respects. Very regionalized. I think that's a very a good point, Frank, that baseball has become more and more regionalized. But it's much like horse racing. It's an older and older crowd where the average age of a Major League Baseball fan goes up every year because they're just not generating interest from the 16 to 35-year-old demographic. But everybody over 35, we grew up with with baseball. It was America's game. Uh, we all still love it, although we don't love what it's become with the shift, strikeout or home run, strikeouts, home runs, and walks, which makes the game pretty boring and, and almost strategy-less. There's almost no strategy in baseball anymore, and that's sort of a shame. Um, but I, I do think they need to probably make some fundamental changes because eventually – you know, as people, get, this is what's happening to horse racing. As your core group gets older and older and older, and eventually is no longer on this earth, you need to attract new fans. Horse racing hasn't been able to do it. Major League Baseball needs to figure out a way to do it if it wants to continue to thrive. All right, Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity. Hey, Matt, I mentioned, you know, um, about with baseball, and I was half joking about, hey, you know, from an integrity standpoint, really don't have to watch it when a guy is is rolling, you know, with a no hitter. Nothing you really have to investigate. But again, that's that's what you do. That's what your company does. And you know, you you watch very very closely all, all these conferences and in, in college, and then these sports and everything. Which sports do you feel 
that you feel you have to watch a little bit more closely than others from an integrity standpoint? And, of course, that means gambling. Well, look, I love uh, college basketball, but history tells us factually that overwhelmingly the vast majority of sports-related and sports betting-related scandals in this country take place in college basketball. It's far and away the number one sport for scandals. Much of it has to do with the fact that one person can impact the game so much, so much more so than football, than baseball, than any other sport. Literally the starting point guard on, on 300 of the 350 teams in D- Division One college basketball completely ch- can completely change the dynamic of a game all by themselves. So um, historically, college basketball by far has the most scandals. And what about the NBA? Of course, we had the scandal with uh, Tim Donahue, uh, the referee, you know, many, many years ago. Is that one of those things, too, that, uh, you know, before people would just look at players? And now, you know, when that happened, you have to look at referees. Is that something that's on, on people's radars as well? Sure. I, look, I could say this. The NBA as a league does as good, if not better, and I would say a better job of any league in the entire world of monitoring their officials. They're well aware of what happened with Tim Donahue. They certainly don't want to ever go through that again or anything worse. And they monitor their officials as closely, I think more closely than any other professional or collegiate sports leagues. And then on the other side of it, the players make so much money. The average yearly salary for NBA professional basketball players is higher than any other sport in the country. So even guys, anybody that could impact a game is making so much money that it's hard to influence them in in terms of then what you're able to get down in the betting markets, uh, what it would take for them to risk all of that. So overall, I think NBA, and, and I know basketball is a sport sometimes, you know, people all claim foul or claim fishiness, and we end up investigating it as much as any sport. Um, but I, I think it's probably less vulnerable than a lot of sports. I know a lot of people over here think that everything is, you know, just what happens in the USA is what matters and nothing else does. But in reality, don't they in the whole do a better job in this country than maybe around the world? Because I remember just a few years ago there was a big scandal in tennis tournaments in a lot of different places and some of the soccer matches in other countries and that kind of stuff. So although there is some here, this isn't just a USA problem. There's kind of scandals and things like that in sports across the board all across the world, correct? Yes, and most scandals come in sports where people are most vulnerable, and it has to do with the amount of money they make in comparison to how much money they can make off the betting scandal. So most of your scandals internationally come in second, third tier, fourth tier soccer leagues, lower tennis tournaments, um, and that's because those people are more vulnerable. But we don't have, we don't really bet on second, third, fourth tier leagues in the United States. Like we don't bet on single A baseball. Ninety five percent of the sports books in the country, and it's probably higher than ninety five. But I know there's a couple that did offer minor league baseball in a couple of states. So I don't want to say a hundred percent, but basically the overwhelming majority of books in the United States don't even offer betting on minor league baseball. 
where we have higher vulnerabilities than the rest of the country is on collegiate sports, unpaid athletes. You know, there's as much money wagered on a college football season as there is an NFL season. And granted, there's more teams, but there's also less weeks. So I think it's pretty close, but there's, there's literally as much money wagered on college football as the NFL. And at the end of the day, none of those athletes are being paid. And in many cases, they're 17, 18, 19-year-old kids and history tells us if we look at scandals, you know, Northwestern, Toledo, Arizona State, just a few of the more recent prevalent ones that everybody knows about and could look up, we're talking about athletes that manipulated or fixed games for $1,000, $1,500, $1,200, Toledo running back getting, uh, you know, fumbling twice in a bowl game for 1200 bucks. These you put a couple of grand in front of an 18-year-old, it's very possible the most money he's ever seen at one time in his life. So in America, collegiate sports, collegiate athletes are much, much more vulnerable than professional athletes. But you're right, Frank, just in terms of professional athletes, America does a better job than probably any other country in the world in terms of monitoring for fraudulent or you know, nefarious activity in professional sports, but our collegiate athletes are really at risk. All right, that's his business, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, let's talk a little bit about the NBA. We're about a couple weeks away, less than a couple weeks away from the quote-unquote play-in tournament. Uh, this is a little bit crazy, but it does offer some intriguing matchups. We hear LeBron James complaining that he doesn't like it now. We never heard that from him last year when the Lakers were, were at the top, but now they're hovering around uh, maybe you know sixth, seventh. Uh, you know they could be forced into this this play if, uh, this play-in situation here with the teams seventh through tenth. Uh, give me your thoughts about this. I actually think it's a good idea for the NBA. It makes some of these one-game situations more fun. Every one of those games means something. And you have to remember, a lot of these matchups, um, you know, people make a, a, an erroneous assumption here, and they figure it'll be the 7 versus the 10, the 8 versus the 9. That's not the case. It's the 7 versus the 8 for the rights to be the 7 seed, the 9 versus the 10 um, for the rights to face the loser of that 7 versus 8 game. So you end up, you know, two teams will play two games, two teams will play one game out of those four teams. And there's some interesting matchups. I mean, you have Zion Williamson, one of the probably ten most popular players in the league, fighting for one of those spots in the West. Steph Curry's in there in the West. You know, the Portland Trail Blazers are there right now in the seventh seed with Damian Lillard, Dame Time. So, I mean, you could literally have, if it ended right now, your first-round matchup in the West would be Dame Time and the Blazers against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. That's a fun one-game matchup that means something. Neither one of those teams have a chance at winning the title. This is the NBA, the most chalk-heavy league in the world. Favorites win, period, year after year after year. Um, that's who's in the NBA Finals is the teams that are supposed to be. But I think it adds a little bit of intrigue, excitement, and fun to the, uh, to the postseason that we could see Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry round one in a one-game series that means something. I think it's going to add a little bit. Same thing in the East where you have – you know, Russell Westbrook, the triple-double machine, he's going to be playing in game one. You could easily see a Boston-Washington as part of that play-in series. So I actually think it's going to add a little bit of excitement and build up as we enter the NBA playoffs. I mean, obviously that is the NBA's goal is to, 
you know, create a little bit of interest here. And But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a chalk-heavy league. You don't see eight seeds, seven seeds, or even six seeds going to the to the NBA Finals. Not like the NHL. And, and, and to me, it, it's one of these things where I understand why players don't like it. I understand why traditionalists don't like it. Because these guys are playing all these extra games. And for what? To be rewarded to play the number one seed? And yeah, you may get a little bit of excitement you know, here for a, a few days in this situation. But they're still bottom feeder teams. And yes, because uh, the Warriors situation, you could have Steph Curry down here, a great player. You have Damian Lillard, great player. Traditionally, these teams are up you know, usually towards the top. So... This is one of these type of years, but for the most part, there are teams like the Atlanta Hawks and this and that. Nobody wants to watch these guys, and it just seems like you're really draining a lot of these teams and players to put so much pressure on them just to qualify for this play-in thing and then have them play and then and then have them get ready to get blasted by the number one seed. So to me, it's 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 a really kind of unfair and unnecessary, and there's nothing wrong with the way the system was before. Except for the fact that betters and viewers alike weren't watching round one. So how do you make the end of the year both? You have more teams fighting for playoff spots, mission accomplished, and you have some meaningful games that viewers will tune into. Now, we don't know yet if betters and viewers are going to tune in for these games because it hasn't happened yet. So we have to wait and see and then talk about it after the fact. Did viewers turn in? Did betters turn out to bet on these games? But my gut feeling is Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry in a one-game winner-take-all series, that sounds like exciting. That sounds like something betters and viewers will gravitate to. Is it almost kind of like the NBA's equivalent now to the uh, baseball playoffs where the first round of the playoffs really is just the one-game playoff and then you really start the playoffs afterwards or whatever? You kind of have that playing uh, that plan thing against the teams at the wild cards? I think every league is facing this, Frank. Number one, every league wants more content because the betting operators now, which let's face it, regulated sports betting is entrenched in every facet of sports in the United States. And anybody who says it's not doesn't really understand the sports landscape. Betting is entrenched in every decision and every major partnership in sports in the United States now. So you want to produce more content that equals more betting, that equals more engagement. So every league is faced with this. And the other problem every league is faced with is how do we make the end of the year more exciting and the end of the game, end of the year games more meaningful? Major League Baseball has the biggest problem here. By the All-Star break in July, literally half the teams in the league are out. And then who wants to watch 70 more games from a team who's already had a contention? You guys said it earlier, nobody cares once those teams are out of contention. So what do you do? You make more play playoff spots, thus more teams fighting for those playoff spots, and then in theory at the end of the year, less of your games are meaningless because the one thing no league wants in a sports betting-fueled ecosystem is meaningless games. Yeah, that is, that is true. I think the baseball uh, situation is different than where the NBA is because the NBA, you're, you're already getting eight in eight teams in each conference, and those teams are hovering below 500 usually or right at 500, usually below 500. And Major League Baseball over a 162 game schedule, and where you're only basically look at, taking looking at four or five of these teams in each league, these teams usually have good records, especially if, 
you know, no, like, I, I understand you know that, but, but what it's I'm totally saying, different. But it's not totally different because it isn't a real playoff series to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I'm thinking and, and that that's one all game. I'm, and that's, all I'm saying is, is it similar to the NBA trying to get that more interest by having that one extra thing of, I mean. Well, that's I, why they're I, doing it. Yeah. I, I just hope yeah. that we never get to the point where the NBA is calling this the first round of the playoffs or something. Well, like in college where they go, well, the first round is those four play-in games. No, they're not. They're the playing games to the NCAA tournament. Well, like the NBA, I mean, this is basically a series before you get to that one game, playoff game, to face the number one seed. So Right, so in a way it's, it's the playoffs to get into yeah, the playoffs. Where baseball is like, okay, wow, this team uh, you know barely uh, got in and they were, you know, you know, say the Dodgers last year or whatever, they're running away and it's like, okay, who's that second place team? They still got a great record. They have a one game playoff to see if they get in the playoffs and that's – to me, that's exciting because we're seeing good baseball and good teams. With the NBA, we're not seeing good teams here. Now, Matt makes a good point. We're seeing good individuals, but we're not seeing good teams at all. Right, but but fans are getting to see another game. And if you're in one of those cities, there might be some more excitement. And if the Lakers did have to play in these play-in games, is everybody just willing to write out the Lakers and say that they have no shot in a series? I don't think they have a shot because of the, all the injuries they have. I mean, that's why they're in the but situation again, but they're in. But again, what if they got healthy? If well, they had to do the playoff game and then they got a, I'm just saying yeah. weird things can happen. Historically, in the, in the NBA, no, it doesn't. But would the Lakers be the exception? Would they add that excitement that all of a sudden people would tune in and go, well, LeBron and AD are going, they got to play in this? I'm watching. Yeah, I mean, if they were healthy, I mean, we're not, we don't even know when LeBron James is going to come back. I mean, again, he he said the other day he, he's he's still not healthy, and it doesn't sound like he really cares too much about it. Anyway, oh, he hates it. He yeah. says that the guy that thought yeah. it up should be yeah. fired. And, and it helps too that you know he got away last year. Fired. <laughs> All right, <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, NFL draft. Uh, the, the props you talked a lot about that last week and everything. Seems like it did very very well uh, at the books as we now you know put that one in the rearview mirror. Yeah, the draft was unbelievable in the first round. What we saw was a record-breaking handle, handle similar to what a lot of books probably saw for the college national championship game. That size, that amount of handle on the round, on round one wagering, but the wagering massively went down after that and, you know, for the Friday rounds two and three. And I think this is here to stay, guys. I think at the end of the day, the one thing we know about the United States is that People consume NFL content 365 days a year if you'll give it to them. And I think this is going to be the new trend where the day, literally the day after the national championship game, we are going to spend two and a half or three weeks ramping up for the NFL draft betting. All right. Obviously, you know, we've seen win totals. We talked about that, uh, you know, adjusted a little bit with drafts, even though uh, a lot of this, you know, is, is, is years down the road to, to decide how this draft plays out. But when you look at the, the, the Packers situation, obviously with not knowing Aaron Rodgers, whether he's going to, you know, show up to camp, the Packers are going to trade him or not. Obviously, there's some contagious, uh, you know, betting there with, with the Packers. Uh, are you seeing any line movement at all? Because right now it's all rumors. No one's hearing from Rodgers. The only thing we're hearing is, hey, the Packers said we're not moving him. Yeah, the one thing I'm hearing from most bookmakers, and let's face it, the Packers were 10.5, 11, they're down to 10 in a lot of places, their books are trying to be conservative, is if Aaron Rodgers is shipped out, the Green Bay Packers season win total will likely move from around 10 to 7 wins, which will put them at 7 and 9. 
um, seven and ten, ten now. I right. the season. So seven and ten. So three games under five hundred without Aaron Rodgers. Eleven and six without him is sort of the expectation. But what I really thought was interesting is how he would have a profoundly different effect on many different teams. So you know there were some rumors that the Raiders might get him and. And many of the power rankings and bookmakers I spoke with said, look, if the Raiders get them, they'll go from 7.5 to 9.5, about a two-point swing in the Raiders' total because, A, they already have a quarterback, and, B, the defense is going to be terrible regardless of who the quarterback is. But they said of all the teams mentioned, the biggest difference he would have to a season win total on any one particular team was the Denver Broncos, who right now have a season win total around six, six and a half, that their win total would go all the way to ten and a half, literally four games. They would be four wins better with Aaron Rodgers this year because their defense is still above average, their offensive line is good, and they have some weapons at receiver and running back that the thought is that you plug an Aaron Rodgers into that Denver team right now and they're contending for a Super Bowl where you plug Aaron Rodgers into a team like the L.A. Raiders, people still think that defense is so bad that they couldn't win a Super Bowl. So I was really interested to see the different uh, you know, sort of profound effects in terms of movement on the season win totals that he would have on the different teams. And I could tell you a lot of sports books, if you look at the Denver Broncos season win total right now, they already went from six, six and a half, all the way up to seven, seven and a half. I even saw one sports book go all the way to eight. <laughs> well, they remember what happened with that same franchise when Peyton Manning came over too. That's it. So saw what a quarterback did. It took him to the next level. Well, and it's kind of crazy too, because if Rodgers did leave or retire or whatever and their win total went down to that would there be anybody with over a 500 record for win total to win that division then yeah. i mean minnesota maybe but i mean that that would say that that right. that whole division's really not yeah. very good talking about the nfc north right there of course yeah <laughs> all right my friend hey uh great stuff uh you gonna partake in uh canelo billy joe saunders this weekend uh, maybe. Um, it's such a big favorite. Yeah. That's the problem with boxing is they're like, yeah, this is one of the really competitive matches. It's but not, man. It's not. Favorite. It's not competitive at all. Forget about it. It's not competitive. It's more competitive than Mayweather, Logan Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are we, are, we're not going to see a line on, on Mayweather, Logan Paul, are we? Yeah, that's already out. Yeah. Minus, Mayweather minus 1 to 25. <laughs> That'd be uh, 2,500 to one, right? All right? 2,500 yeah. to Put up 2,500 to win 100. That's, yeah. easy, that's easy money. Okay, no problem. Sign me up for that. Okay. I'll, meet, I'll meet you at your bank and uh, take out, uh, take out is, a three-hour loan. I was going to say, isn't it better interest than most banks today? I yeah, really right. don't know. So. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I'm still reeling from when Matt was comparing the NFL draft to the college football championship. Because I certainly hope that Justin Fields performs better in the NFL than he did in the football championship. Or better uh, than he did against Northwestern. Wasn't very good there either. Yeah, but that wasn't a championship game. We're right. talking, uh, That's my point. Uh, against uh, Northwestern? I'll, I'll, uh. I'm, I'm, I have, now I'm just really even more nervous. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, we'll let you go. Appreciate it as always. Guys, best of luck this week. Take care. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, and our guy, uh, formerly the uh, vice president uh, on the other side of the counter uh, over at uh, the old CG Technology, now doing his thing with uh, U.S. Integrity, monitoring, monitoring at all. Say that three times real fast. That three times real fast. Thank you very much. All right. I can say this, Vegas Golden Knights. 
Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas Golden Knights. We'll hit that on the other side as they take on the Minnesota Wild tonight. Very intriguing game. Kind of like a playoff atmosphere game, isn't it? Well, the it? last game was. I mean, yeah. we, we finally, in, in a season where everybody was expecting a lot of physicality in that because teams played each other so much. I think teams played each other so much that we didn't see that because it's like we got to play these guys seven more times and then six and five. But now that it's getting down to the nitty-gritty and now they're jostling for playoff position, now we're seeing a little bit of that edge. Now we're seeing a little bit of that face-washing with the gloves. We saw it the last game. I expect to see more tonight, and I definitely expect to see better goaltending than either team had last game. Right. With Marc-Andre Fleur in there, and that's not a shot at Robin Leonard. But remember this, too. Minnesota – has given up 17 goals in their last four games. They have not been getting stellar goaltending. All right. Golden Knights, Wild, tonight, 5 o'clock. Who wins? We'll break it down. What's up, y'all? This is Sinbad. You checking my boy T.C. Martin talking about what's happening. Ah! Don't forget, you still got time to dive into the RVD CBD. That's right. Go to the website, rvdcbd.com. That's right. It is the WWE superstar Rob Van Dam in the CBD business. And you can get 21% off of anything on the website by using the promo code TCRVD. 21% off of anything, tinctures, gummies, smokables, the creams, the oils, it's all there for you. It definitely helps you. Quality stuff. You could you could argue it's a Hall of Fame selection. Hall of Fame selection. Very nice. You can, yeah. But go to the website and check it all out for your CBD needs while it lasts. Take advantage of the discount. 21%. Go to the website, rvdcbd.com, and put in that promo code TCRVD. Yeah, wrong guy there. Yeah, but uh, it's a wrestling voice, so yeah. I guess I could do the Rob Van Dam voice. Yeah, dude, pretty cool. How's that? You do a better Macho Man. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, I was... uh, Actually, I guess it would be the Hall of Famers selection. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You know, I was real close last night to sitting down watching Roddy Roddy Piper. If I didn't get a chance to do it, so I'm going to watch it maybe tonight. Roddy Roddy Piper is... A week ago. This week was I Macho told you Man. I recorded them Macho all. Man, yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch yeah. Hot Rod yeah. first. The, the, then the, I'm going to watch. I, I Should I wa- watch them in any particular order? No, I don't Do think I need it to? matters. I don't Doesn't, think it matters. Okay. No, they don't really build you guys, off of one another. You guys have already so. seen them, but yeah. I record them all so I can watch so, it. To me, the saddest part of it was that watching the Macho Man was that neither him nor Miss Elizabeth is still around to actually be part of it and do the yeah. interviews and all that sort of stuff. So it's all kind of, you know, third person. Well, that's way with Rod, too. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. But they still had some old footage of him talking about himself a little bit. They didn't have as much of that. It was savage. And and Elizabeth really never did anything. No, no. Behind closed doors. And and by the way, when you do watch the Roddy Roddy Piper one, you will find out when, did where, you? and why he started playing the bagpipes. Because he actually does play them. I know that, it's, my friend. Know. This guy was like my guy. So, yeah. Him and him and Macho were, were my guys. I really liked those guys. The three guys were him, were Hot Rod, Macho Man, and George Animal Steel. All three guys were my guys. And Macho and George Animal Steel had their feud going on for years and years because of the uh, 
Miss Elizabeth well, tie-in. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was the storyline. Yeah. Really interesting story, too, in the Macho Man one about the match with Richie the Dragon Steamboat. I think you'll find that very Good. interesting. No, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, That was incredible, telling the story of that particular yeah. match. Yeah. You wish that, uh, like I said, that, that both of those guys could have been alive to do recent interviews with that stuff that would uh, that'd be cool now i saw the booker t one aired the other night so i recorded that one as well, well that's, too. i thought that was the one coming up this sunday oh it's this sunday yes, yeah yeah I, I, I looked at yeah him. you're right i looked at him yeah so all right and i, I don't I, know how much i'm into him though I, I i'm not that into him but i i got a little bit unrushed because i never realized apparently the impact that he had on his community of getting more people into wrestling and Good. trying to do it as a career and that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not going to say he was the Tiger Woods of professional yeah. wrestling, but he, and, and there were other guys in there, Junkyard Dog and others before him in that, right. but it seemed like he really hit a connection where a lot of younger African-American kids in that mm-hmm. thought wrestling was a potential yeah. viable career. So you guys were asking me a couple weeks ago um, when we were talking about the, the, the crazy guy, um, the, the, who, who stabbed the guys in the rings, and we, we watched that on the dark side of the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, huh? New Jack. Yeah, New Jack. You guys yeah. are asking about New Jack. And I, and New I told Jack you, was absolutely... Right. Was, so I, uh, sorry, to say was would mean that he's not anymore. Right. New Jack is absolutely out of his mind. So you... Because right. you asked me if I ever had any dealings with him, and I said there was a couple phone calls, but I, I, I never used him. But I told you that I used his... His partner. So when I was going through those old pictures, trying to find uh, the, the like pictures, M- Mustafa. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I came across several Mustafa pictures today. I was thinking about you guys. He was a big guy. Mustafa was a great guy. Okay. He, he, he just didn't. Yeah. He just didn't do much on the mic. And I don't know no. if he didn't have mic skills, but New Jack took over the mic, no. and that was it. No, there was Mustafa. No reason for him. Mustafa to... wasn't bad on the mic. He he was pretty good. Well, on the I think mic. he and got he was better, a very good comfortable. Worker, but yeah, yeah, but at did. first, but again, yeah. New Jack was the one. He said stuff that yeah. Mustafa would be like, yeah. "Damn!" So I'm going through these pictures today because you know WWE was asking me for for pictures of the NWC for the Rob Van Dam icons that will air on May the 16th. So make sure you check that out. I think I, I think I did not end up on the cutting room floor. I think I got 38 seconds in there. So check out some old NWC photos. So they're asking me for photos. And so I went through a bunch of them today, and I go, oh, there's Mustafa. There it is. You guys were asking me about him. So, yeah, cool, cool cat. All right, man. Vegas Golden Knights tonight. I'm intrigued, Frank, because I sat there and watched, just like you did, watched that meltdown the other night. They blew the 5-3 lead in the final minute 32 to end up losing 6-5. to five. And you know that that did not sit well with any of the Golden Knights players. Could not have sat well with Peter DeBoer to sit there in Minneapolis for two days to get back on the ice. I look for the Golden Knights to bounce back tonight. They are a dollar twenty favorite, depending on where you get dollar twenty, dollar twenty-five. I saw them at one fifteen. It was this morning. Yeah. But now it's up to one twenty, one twenty, one twenty-five. Just about all places now. Uh, expect a bounce back tonight from the VGK? I think they're going to come out of the gate fast. I do expect a bounce back. I think they're going to get better goaltending from Marc-Andre Fleury. Like I mentioned right before we went to break, um, it's not like Minnesota's been getting great goaltending of late. Cam Talbot's come down to earth a lot. Now, you can say that's because they had three games against St. Louis and the one against the Golden Knights, but still, he's got to play better if they're going to advance and do all this damage in the playoffs that they're expecting to do. But, um, yeah, I, I think Vegas will play better, and I'm sure Robin Leonard would like some of those goals back that uh, he gave up. But that's one of Minnesota's problems. They don't have a lot of necessarily depth at the goaltending position. Right. Cam Talbot's been sensational, 
But the last few games, he's looked like the Cam Talbot that wasn't sensational in Edmonton and, and right. so on before. So uh, Vegas has every opportunity to win, but that was a complete collapse in that last game. And they better win tonight because if they don't, and Colorado beats San Jose, and I think they're one of the biggest favorites on the board to do that, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're tied, and Minnesota's only two points behind. It gets real tight up top. Right, back to the goaltenders, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury in net for the Knights tonight. You mentioned Cam Talbot. Yeah, 2.57 goal against average for Talbot. You know, where Fleury is uh, right just slightly over 2, 2.08. So, yeah, I'm glad to see uh, Fleury in there. Obviously well-rested, ready to go tonight. They will face it off at 5 o'clock clock so uh, make sure that you're watching that the game in Minneapolis uh, again uh, Max Pacioretty their leading goal scorer still he's on the injury report still listed as day-to-day any yeah. concern at all oh there's obviously a concern yeah. especially where there's only two injuries in the NHL where it's upper body and lower body and they don't ever disclose anything mm-hmm. remember way back when Eric Halla got injured season one and they oh well, he's hurt, and he was day-to-day. Then it became week-to-week. Then it was then we never saw him again until there was a softball game out at Las Vegas Ballpark. Yeah. So, you know, and now he's not on the Golden Knights anymore. So Undisclosed. No, no the, the, there's always concern, and certainly with Pacioretty. The other thing interesting is Pacioretty and Stone have played so well together this year. You, you wonder, does Mark Stone, who had a good game the last game, you know, does he keep on putting up the numbers and doing what he's been doing without Pacioretty there because they've worked so well together? And remember, at the end of that last game against Minnesota that they just lost the other night where they had the collapse in the third period, Stone was in the officials' faces. He was not happy about a few things going on at the end of that when it did get so physical. Mm -hmm. Golden Knights really not, I I don't know, not really known for being, you know, real physical, but it seems like they, when they get in these type of physical games against another team, almost kind of getting bullied a a little bit, so to speak. I don't know if you see that, that aspect or that angle uh, or not, uh, but uh, I I don't know what the reason is why Minnesota has really dominated the Golden Knights over the last couple of seasons. Six and one Minnesota is at home and they've beaten the Golden Knights Five straight times. That seems really mind-boggling, as well as the Golden Knights have played. But like the Golden Knights, the Wild, they beat up on the, on, on the lesser teams, and uh, just like the Golden Knights do. But for some reason, when they face the, the Wild, it just doesn't go the Knights' way. And to me, you know, matchup-wise, you think these teams are pretty even, but it's, it's pretty disparaging. When you think, I mean, 6-1 and one at home over the last seven games in Minneapolis, and then winning the last five? Well, and again, remember, the only game that Vegas has won against Minnesota in Minnesota was when Eric Holler got the game in the in, in the right. overtime in the shootout. Right. So so it's like you know, I mean, no, they have owned him. It's definitely something in the head. I don't think Vegas hits the ice and goes, Oh man, we gotta play Minnesota, we're not gonna win. Vegas thinks they can beat anybody. But Minnesota is supremely confident. And although they've won their last few games in that They've been down by two goals in the third period a few times. Now, they've managed to come back and win those games. That is not a recipe for success in this league long term. So they've got to get better as well. They've got to get better goaltending again. But up to this point, they've owned them. But again, owning somebody in the regular season, how will that be in the playoffs? Well, we don't know because we haven't seen them play each other in the playoffs yet. But um, I don't think Vegas is afraid of this team. I think they would still rather not have to play Minnesota in the first round, and to do that, they're going to have to win the division, which means they got to win tonight and hold off Colorado. Remember, they play one more game as well. 
But I'm not sure this playing St. Louis is, uh, you know, any cakewalk either because the Blues are already playing playoff hockey. The interesting thing is all year long we've been talking about, and I think rightfully so, how bad this division is. This division is really bad on the bottom Bottom, half. The top four, if St. Louis plays like they're capable of with Bennington, who's won a Stanley Cup, Tarasenko, and a lot of the other talent they have there, St. Louis is playing their best hockey right now at the time of year you want to. Vegas could win the Stanley Cup. They could lose in the first round because once you get into the playoffs, any one of those four teams could go. We've seen that in hockey, like we Mm -hmm. talked about. The difference between the NBA and the NHL. Get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Golden Knights, uh, just a week ago, were six points better than Colorado. Now that has been trimmed to two. Golden Knights was 74 points, Colorado 72. And here come the Wild at, at 70. So you can say, and a lot of people like to say, well, the team that's trailing, well, especially when you only have a handful of games to go, well, they're, they're going to need the game more. They want the game more. The Golden Knights need this game. They oh, absolutely. both need this game. So as it stands right now, uh, Minnesota sitting on 70 points. Golden Knights was 74 the Golden Knights could really need a victory here to to space themselves out and, well, and, and get these points in, in you know and win this game in regulation and especially because it's not just Minnesota they're trying to stave off right it's again like right. I said if Colorado wins tonight and Vegas loses Colorado and Vegas are tied yeah. and Colorado still has the game in hand, hand right. they'll have played one fewer game and they play each other Friday night next yeah Friday Friday night yeah. so yeah. you know which I believe is Latin America night at the uh, at T-Mobile Arena for that game. I saw the uh, the press release from the Golden Knights on that because of Cinco de Mile weekend mm-hmm. and tying everything in there. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's very close at the top. Vegas could be first and have home ice for the first two rounds of the playoffs. They could finish as low as third and be on the road mm-hmm. for the first two rounds of the playoffs because it's that tight. And, again, even first doesn't assure you I don't think St. Louis is any picnic. It's not going to be an easy series. Now, maybe it is. It's funny, though, like we said. Minnesota historically has owned Vegas. Mm-hmm. Colorado owns Minnesota. You know, so who know, you know who who knows yeah. what the matchups are? And Vegas and St. Louis are kind of an interesting thing. And Vegas and Colorado are actually mm-hmm. even. If you're just going by regular season records, probably the last team they want to play is Minnesota. I would still think you'd probably still rather play Minnesota in the first round than Colorado, even though they have injury problems in that. Grubauer's back. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder from when he was on that great President's winning trophy team in Washington, and he didn't get the job done and was pulled and then sat on the bench to watch him win a Stanley Cup. I think he wants to prove that he can get something done in the playoffs. Now, they don't have the depth that Vegas does, but that also means that their coach doesn't have to make a decision of what do I do in net. You know it's Grubauer. It's not going to be Dubnik the way he's been playing. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to make for some great, interesting playoff hockey. Looking forward to that. And I'm so curious to see who even makes the lineups when the playoffs start. Is Peyton Krebs staying in there? Is Ryan Reeves, if he's healthy, is he back in the lineup? He adds that grit and that kind of stuff, but does he take away a little bit of skill? There's a lot of decisions uh, decisions to make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's great to have a lot of talent and depth. But it also means you have to make decisions, and you have to plug in the right players at the right time to get the job done. Uh, you mentioned Washington. Speaking of Washington, we touched upon this yesterday with Tom Wilson. Um, you know, the, the $5,000 fine, very, very questionable. Joke. The, the goon, all that stuff. Joke. Well, on Major League Baseball side, you know, Amir Garrett, um, who actually spent time here in Las Vegas, uh, Garrett was suspended for seven games for inciting a bench-clearing incident. I'm not going to say brawl because it wasn't a brawl. Punches weren't even thrown. We're talking about the game where the Reds, who Garrett pitches for, uh, against the Cubs. 
uh, the other day, and it started when Garrett struck out Anthony Rizzo in the eighth inning. Uh, Garrett shouted from the mound, was pounding his chest multiple times. The Cubs saw that as disrespectful to Rizzo, so Garrett said that, well, I just had this pent-up aggression from his struggles this season. Cubs weren't buying that. Several Cubs players, particularly Javier Baez, let Garrett know how they felt about it by yelling at him from the dugout. Garrett yelled back at Baez while waiting for the next batter. Then Baez jumped the dugout railing, gestured uh, towards Garrett to come at him. Uh, the benches did empty. Like I said, no punches, no ejections. Garrett suspended seven games. How's Garrett suspended for seven games and Goon Wilson is pummeling this guy, no suspensions whatsoever, and a mere, and I say mere because it's nothing, a $5,000 fine. Seems kind of crazy, doesn't I, it? It's No, it doesn't seem crazy. It just yeah. seems out and out uh, stupid. Absurd, right? It, yeah. It's just stupid. And, and by the way, the New York Rangers, who were the team that um, Tom Wilson went crazy on, basically putting a stick around Buchnevich's neck and giving him a chokehold, hitting him in the back of the head, then ragdolling and throwing Artemi Panarin to the ice and effectively ending the season for him. And then Wilson gets that $5,000 fine. The Rangers have said that the... Director of Player Safety and Personnel in the NHL should be fired immediately. But as far as the thing with Garrett, I have no idea. He he got suspended for seven games basically for celebrating striking somebody out. Yeah, and, well, then, then, and drawing how, back. Then how about yeah. hitting the damn ball? <laughs> and, and again, I'm going to go old school here, and maybe we're shaking our fist at get off my yards, you young punks or whatever out there. <laughs> Al Herbowski, the mad Hungarian, went behind the mound and pumped himself up like that before every pitch for crying out loud. Would he just be suspended for the season today? I mean, what is, why is everyone so damn sensitive and how dare you? You know, I can hit a home run and I can celebrate, but, uh, you know, then pitchers don't like that. Then you strike somebody out and they don't like that. How about just do your job and then there won't be nothing for them to celebrate? My God, everybody's a crybaby today. And a lot, of, a lot of this goes with the culture differences in different countries. Because if you watch any of the Latin, you know, baseball championships in Puerto Rico or Mexico mm-hmm. or anywhere, especially you know the Caribbean, I mean, those guys they get fired up. They talk trash to each other. You see the bat flips. You see them pound their chest and this and that. And a lot of the Latin players will bring that game here to the states. In Major League Baseball, and then there are people, oh, wait, wait, don't do that, don't do that. This is supposed to be a game of respect. We all have huge contracts. We all make lots of money. We're supposed to talk to each other when a runner comes down to first base, and I'm the first baseman. Pat him on the back. Pat him on the butt. I mean, that's just the way it is. We see that more and more. You're right. And really, it's not, you know, get off my lawn, be an old school, whatever. It's just, just competitive fire. There's nothing wrong with it. This is competition. These are battles. Okay, and there's there's nothing wrong with any of this. Oh, by the way, Brian Salmon says, you know, uh, get get off his lawn. He's got artificial turf. So I told him, get off your artificial turf. That's what he's saying. I think the HOA just called. You got some weeds to pull there, buddy. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I it makes no sense. I, I, mean, I, I, I baseball don't... seven games. This goon. Repeated offender? Nah, it, it, well, and, and it's funny, too. It's okay. Because, because that's that's re- what our sport's like. And again, I know I'm going back to when we were young. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were revered because of their trash talking. Yeah. Now you're not supposed to say anybody that everything's supposed to be a gentleman's game. Well, guess what? The word gentleman is overused. The gentleman's clubs in town aren't necessarily catering to gentlemen. We'll leave that for another Chuck. All right, there you go. All right, again, John Means throws a 
per uh, a, I'm sorry, a near perfect game today. Wild Face pitch. Face the minimum. Wild pitch. Guy got on first, got thrown out at second. 113 pitches, gives up no hits, 12 strikeouts. The Baltimore Orioles left-hander. How about this one? Of the 27 batters he faced, 26 of them first pitch strikes. Wow. Well, and it, it, you know what? It does show that Matt was right that they were swinging at everything. Yeah. Because the one that they swung at was a wild pitch that got him yeah. on base. Right. Yeah, it was getaway day in Seattle. They got to get out of there. Day game. Hey, you get know? out of there. Oh, I'm on first. I still got to get out of here. All Let me right. get thrown out a second. Well, thank 27 you. up, 27 down. Thank you, Matt Holt for joining us. Al Bernstein. Uh, tomorrow, we're right back at it. Uh, so join us tomorrow. Liz Cambage from the Las Vegas Aces joins us. Don Logan, opening day for the Aviators. Look forward to all that. Miss any part of the show, you know where to go. TCMartinShow.com.